Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. And you wonder why this stuff goes on. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right. Let me share with you a story. Uh, This comes from June 28th. This is as it was reported by Fox 6. Uh, The headline, Glendale Police Pursuit, 16-year-old charged. A 16-year-old is charged as an adult after a Glendale police pursuit Saturday, June 25th. Glendale police released the video as Nasser Askernis appeared in court on Tuesday. The court commissioner said she was extremely distressed by the facts in the case. Court documents say Glendale police first tried to pull over the driver because the stolen car's alarm was still ringing. Okay, so let's start out. Car is stolen. The alarm is going off. The police see this car going down the road with the alarm going off. Decide to pull it over. Here's uh, what the police say. Speeds of 65 still going northbound on Santa Monica, say police in a body video camera. He's on the wrong way of traffic. Okay, for those of you not familiar with this area, and I grew up in the North Shore, Santa Monica is a residential street that runs through Whitefish Bay and Glendale and Fox Point, houses all along the way. The speed limit, I believe, is 25 miles an hour. 65 miles an hour, stolen car. Police go to try to pull the car over, and to top it all off, the car is going the wrong way. Wrong way of traffic. Early Saturday morning, the driver of the stolen Hyundai, now this is back in June, stolen Hyundai, led officers on a chase through Glendale. The officer's first attempt to stop the car didn't work. The driver kept going through the Nicolay High School parking lot with the back bumper dragging behind. Okay, so high-speed chase through a residential neighborhood. Car Speed limit is 25 miles an hour. Car is going 65 miles an hour. The bumper is dragging. The car is in the wrong lane of traffic. A few minutes later, a second try to stop the car work, uh, worked, but both the driver and the passenger took off all right so again this is finally the car is completely disabled and of course what happens nowadays everybody runs driver runs into the woods after being caught placed in handcuffs um Askernis was in court tuesday charged as an adult with fleeing an officer you're going to get tased said police in the body camera video get on the ground court records say the passenger of the car told police Askernis drove off because he was a good driver and he believed that he could get away. I don't care how good a driver you are, said the court commissioner. You don't even have your driver's license, 
So start remembering you're part of the community. The court commissioner wanted to make it clear that she takes this case very, very seriously. I want you to understand something, said the court commissioner. When you are part of a community, any action that affects the peace and sanity of the community, you are damaging. I want you to really think about that because you do not live alone. You do not live on an island, and everybody has the right to peace of mind in our community. All right. So this court commissioner, this is, of course, in in June after the punk has been arrested all right so that's the that's the circumstance uh, of this 16 year old kid driving a stolen car no driver's license 65 miles an hour in a residential neighborhood refuses to stop for the cops they have to execute multiple efforts to try to stop it the bumper comes off the car they finally pull the car over and the driver the kid gets out and runs and did I mention he doesn't have a driver's license? All right. So why are we starting the program off with this? Today, all right, this happened yesterday, a Milwaukee County judge sentenced Nazir Askernis on Tuesday, December 6th, after Askernis pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge of fleeing an officer, and then the story goes through. You know what we I just shared with you. You know the back bumper, the stolen car, the fleeing. All right. Would you like to guess what sixteen-year-old Nasir Askernis got? And remember, the court commissioner when they were first setting bail on this kid, the court commissioner came in and read him the riot act. This is serious. This is a big deal. All right. Online court records, according to Fox 6, show the court initially sentenced Askernis on Tuesday to 90 days in the House of Correction, but, 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 then stayed that sentence and placed him on probation for a term of one year. So, let's look at the price of poker. You can be 16 years old. You can be driving a stolen car. You cannot have a driver's license. You can be fleeing from the police. You can be driving 65 miles an hour down the wrong way in a residential neighborhood. When you are ultimately forced to stop, you can get away. You can run from the cops and force them to chase you. You can get lectured by a court commissioner. But when you roll into Milwaukee County Circuit Court, you are put on probation for a period of a year. Now, I think you can make a strong argument that a sentencing of of 90 days in the House of Correction is probably a ridiculously small sentence at that. But but that was stayed, and he was put on probation. 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Is it any wonder that all the punks out there you know, in the stolen cars and fleeing from the cops and endangering people's lives. Is it any wonder that none of them have any concerns about getting caught? Because when they do get caught, if they do get caught, no matter how brazen their activities, they get put on probation for a period of one year. 855-616-1620. I'm just I'm shaking my head, and you wonder, you know, why we have this problem around here. Well, it's because we don't hold people accountable. So what do you think about a year probation for a kid who does this? And did I mention didn't have a driver's license to begin with? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. A number of people asking who was the judge, and, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter because... 
this is the type of stuff that you get out of the Milwaukee County court system. And then we wonder why we have a problem. I believe I, I believe the judge was David Swanson, who's been on the bench for eh, seven or eight years, maybe eight or nine years. It's always a little tough to read these court record things, but I think um, that's where it is. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Frog in my throat there. Okay, 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see. um, Tell you what, let me take a quick break. Take just a two-minute break. We'll be back with more. Let me get this frog out of my throat. One of our texters says, you were making the stolen car noises. That's why you strained your voice. <laughs> okay. And again, I think the, the judge here was, was a judge named David Swanson. And this is, it, it's, but but it doesn't matter. This is just what happens, you know, in Milwaukee. And, and if you're just tuning in, I'm telling this story about this kid who's driving a stolen car. And, and it's not even tough for the cops that this is like last June. The, the car alarm is going off as the kid is driving the car. And he's driving 65 miles an hour down Santa Monica Boulevard where the speed limit, I believe, is 25. It's a residential thing. He's on the wrong side of the street going 65. He flees from the police. They try to, to force him over. The bumper kind of falls off. It's dragging. Finally, they force the car to a stop around Nicolay High School. The, the driver and the passenger get out. They flee. They're ultimately caught, handcuffed. The kid gets brought in. 16-year-old without a driver's license. He's lectured by the court commissioner. This is just absolute insanity, et cetera, et cetera. Appears in front of a Milwaukee County Circuit judge, I believe, again, uh, Daniel Swanson yesterday. He's put on probation for a year. He's, he's sentenced to 90 days in the House of Correction, but that is stayed, and he's put on one-year probation. And we wonder why this stuff <clears throat> goes on. Jeff, we ought to advertise set him loose Swanson, especially if the kid does something bad. Jeff, can't our system make these punks pay all the damages, um, even if they ha- it takes till they're fifty? Well, you, you know, you, you you can try, but you know who's going to collect from a sixteen-year-old kid? Jeff, who cares about the safety and peace of mind of the remainder of the taxpaying homeowners in the city of Milwaukee anymore? And our car insurance rates stay high. Stuff um, take um, stuff like this. Yeah, I think that there is certainly an element <clears throat> to that. Um, let's see. Eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, twenty. Um, Jeff, who hires court commissioners? Court commissioners are hired by the, the chief circuit judge. But this the, the court commissioner, I think, was lecturing the kid at the time of bail. Oh, this is a big deal. You can't be nuts like this. But then, of course, at the end of the day, when you have a chance to do something, look, I, I'm not arguing that you send this 16-year-old kid to a pond for three years. All right? That, that's not what the argument is. But, you know, maybe maybe six months you know, maybe six months, you know, in the county jail might have caused them or whatever facility that you're going to do might have caused them to get some attention. Jeff, kids who steal cars should have to do massive amounts of community service or else face going to jail or to be forced to actually attend school with some sort of class curriculum created to educate them on hard work and freedom um, versus the criminal justice system. They put people's lives at risk. They cause massive inconvenience to the people that worked hard to purchase their vehicles, right? Not to mention the danger. Now, in this particular situation, 
nobody died. Nobody died because there wasn't somebody walking their dog who happened to be in the intersection, you know, of Santa Monica and wherever when this punk drove through at 65 miles an hour. But if there had been somebody there, you know that, you know, that that person probably would have been in a hospital, would have probably been dead. That's the type of stuff that, that happens. And how do you convince not only this punk not to do it again, but how do you send messages to other punks when the lesson is, okay, you're in the stolen car, you're fleeing from the cops, it is a high rate of speed, all right, just drive off. Because maybe you're not even going to get caught, but if you get caught and you go to Milwaukee County Circuit Court, well, they're going to put you on probation and tell you not to do it again. Jeff, this is ridiculous. It happens over and over again. Yeah, I think we need to name the liberal judges. And, you know, liberal judges, you know, conservative judges, it's just this is what goes on in Milwaukee County Circuit Court. Jeff, give me a break. I'm so tired of this. First of all, I thought stealing a car was grand theft auto. Now, interestingly, they, they didn't even charge him with car theft. They just charged him with misdemeanor fleeing. There's so many more charges that are out there, so I presume this is the product of a plea bargain. I thought stealing a car was grand theft and a felony, and I thought fleeing was a felony also. This makes me absolutely livid. As far as I'm concerned, um, it's racing with a deadly weapon. It's a miracle the kids didn't get run over in a residential neighborhood. Um, yes, first question to be answered is why was the charge only a misdemeanor? Um, what was the police recommendation or was this the DA's office who brought it forward? Yeah, my, my guess is I think that's a fair question. Now, how is it that you can be in the stolen car, you can be fleeing from the cops, you can endanger everybody else's life and safety, and... All you do is end up getting a misdemeanor uh, out of this in the first place. Jeff, what will happen to him if he breaks his probation? Well, if he breaks his probation, he goes back in front of the judge, and in theory, then he goes to the House of Correction to serve out the, the 90 days. Oh, how terrible that might be. Jeff, your judges are a joke. In the mid-80s, when I was in high school, my parents grounded me for six months and stuck to it just for having a few friends over and a couple cases of beer when they were gone. Yes, the times, the times they have definitely changed. Um, Jeff, he's probably also on double-secret probation from Faber College. What a joke our legal system is. Why not give him a gas card and a car as well? So much for all of us having the peace of mind that we deserve. Yeah, that's the, the whole bottom line of this. You know, Jeff, forget the fleeing. The stolen car should be six years at least. Are you kidding? This is Milwaukee County, where as a matter of course, the district attorney's office decides that they are not going to waive people. in. They will not, as a general rule, they will not waive juveniles into adult court. That's just, you know, not what happens. So... I, I, I hate to start the show on a, on a note like this, but it's just it just you need to understand that this is what is going on on a regular basis. And we talk tough. We say, OK, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. You know, we're going to really crack down on this. You know, you've got to recognize that there's all sorts of consequences for this. But, you know, no, it, it's it's not. 
It's not. One of our texters says, Jeff, jail time is the only answer. Community service isn't a joke. Who in their right mind would want to supervise these punks for community service? Um, yeah, that's, this is the problem that goes on on a regular basis. We just don't hold people accountable. Jeff, you're absolutely correct. Not only does this leniency not send not send a message to not steal cars, it actually encourages more of it. Something has to change. Um, yeah, there's, th- there's that reality. So let me get this straight. We pay the officer for his or her life, for risking their life to catch this person. We pay for the prosecutor, the defense attorney, and the judge. What do we get from that expense? Nothing, I guess. Certainly not a deterrent. Well, you know, that's a lot. Jeff, the system's changed a lot since I was 13 years old. I got a curfew ticket and had to do 40 hours of community service, and I'm only 32 now. Yeah, you know, curfew ticket? Curfew ticket? Wait a second. What, what about, what are we talking about? Curfew tickets. Don't you remember that after the shooting down in, the, in off of Water Street this summer, remember we had the mayor appear, we had this big deal going on where we were all talking about, hey, we're going to crack down on this, we're going to have the curfews, we're going to give out tickets, and at least when last I heard and we made an inquiry about this, all we had, there was like only like a dozen curfew violations that had been issued. It was just nothing but lip service. Now look, I... I don't pretend to have all the answers, although I do start with saying what we need to do is we need to flood high crime areas with police. We need to enforce broken windows, meaning the fact that little stuff leads to big stuff and we can't tolerate that kind of thing anymore. And then a key is we need to hold people accountable. And if the DA's office is deciding to just plead cases away or not charge cases like they should be charged in the first place or not hold juveniles accountable for the crimes they commit, And we need to replace the DAs. And if we've got judges that are refusing to hold people accountable because, well, I don't want to come down too hard on this or I I don't want to damage the kid's reputation or I, I mean, I just I don't know. We want to give them another chance. No, what we've learned is that does not work. And here's another example of that. Oh, we're talking tough when they get arrested. But when, you know, the the metal, you know, real, when it really comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, now nah, we go squishy. Another example of that. Okay, let's talk about important stuff. This is your opportunity to help children in need from Wisconsin enjoy the holiday season as WTMJ partners with Capco Kids to Kids Christmas. We are raising money to help purchase toys for kids in our area. Every $25 helps two kids celebrate the season, and collectively we need your help, and, and I want to make a personal appeal for help. Let's see how many kids we can help. Now, we've got a friendly competition, and it is friendly, going on this week between the, the different shows. Which show will help the most kids? And so here, here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to make a donation. Like I say, 25 bucks helps two kids, 50 bucks helps four kids. You know, do the math. Um, and any donation would be appreciated, but 25, 50, 250, 500, you know, whatever. There, there's a couple ways you can participate. One, you can text the word kids, K I D S, to the WTMJ talk and text line, which is 855 616 1620. And then <clears throat> we'll send you this link. And it's got the, the various shows that are up there, and you can make your donation in the name of one of the various shows. If it's just easier, just go to our WTMJ website. It's WTMJ.com, and you'll see this big banner. 
that runs across the top, and it says Kids to Kids Kiss Christmas. You, kick, uh, you click on that, and then what you'll see is, again, the ability. You'll see the different shows. Click on it. You know, Have your credit card or PayPal ready or whatever, and make the donation. It's your chance to help WTMJ help children in need with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. So um, I want to thank you in advance for all of you who participate. And if you choose to make the donation under the name of my show, that, that's fine because it just helps us get bragging rights that are there. All right. Now, if you are on Social Security, it's great. You, you get the money. But one of the things that happens is that you, you pay taxes on, on Social Security income, right? Matter of fact, you pay taxes on all sorts of income that, that's there. If you're working for a company and you have a company car, all right, you pay taxes. That's treated as, as additional income that you are supposed to pay taxes on. Uh, the, the news, what, yesterday or two days ago, was that the Trump organization was found liable, criminally, criminally responsible for failing to pay taxes on, on perks that they that should have been taxable that they gave to various employees and they never pay taxes on it. Okay, so that that's it. You're supposed to pay taxes on this stuff. Well, here's the headline in the local newspaper that caught my attention. Wisconsin poised to tax students loan debt relief, but it may be more complicated than it sounds. Now, um, the federal government is, of course, and Joe Biden is just, you know, heck-bent on trying to give people the student loan, quote-unquote, relief. And right now it's hung up in the court. But remember what he wants to do is if you've got a family making up to a quarter million dollars, up to $250,000, and both the, the spouse, you and your spouse in that instance, have you know student loan debt, Joe Biden wants to forgive it up to $10,000. So that would be $20,000. So that's like the government handing you a check for $20,000. Now, in Wisconsin, if people get that student loan forgiveness, now it hasn't happened yet, but if the taxpayers come out and simply wipe away $10,000 in student loan debt, which is the equivalent of you know paying $10,000 towards your student loan, it is a taxable event. You are supposed to pay Wisconsin state taxes on that. Now, because of a weird provision in the American Rescue Plan Act, um, student debt relief on the federal level is tax-exempt until 2026. So, you know, if you get that that $10,000, for example, and that comes in next year, if you end up getting it, it, it's a completely tax-free gift from the taxpayers to the student loan borrower, who I would argue probably shouldn't be getting that money in the first place. But in Wisconsin, if you get that student loan relief, if we forgive $10,000, that's treated well, kind of like a Social Security payment would be. You are supposed to pay taxes on this. And the story in the paper, of course, has approaches it from the perspective of, well, you know, this is terrible, and if the Republican-controlled legislature doesn't take action to do this, well, then, you know, we've got all these problems, including, you know, how does the Department of Revenue know whether you've had student loan forgiven, which is, I don't know, not that unique a situation. Then, you know, if, if you have, for example, I don't know, cash income on the side that you're supposed to report, and if you don't report it, you end up getting in trouble. But the larger overall situation is, you know, if we get student loan debt 
and that student loan debt is forgiven, should there be, should you have to pay tax on that? And again, in my example, you've got a couple, each has $10,000 that mysteriously disappears courtesy of the taxpayers, which is the equivalent of the taxpayers writing somebody a check for $20,000. Should people have to treat it as income? And if not, why not? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, which is a WTMJ talk and text line. One of our texters points out, wait, Jeff, credit card debt relief is treated as taxable income. And they figured out how to track that. I'm sure that they can figure this out. Yes, as well. And that's a great point. Yes, you're right. If you get credit card debt relief, you're you're going to pay taxes on that. So the student loan debt, okay, you're going to get it. Now again, it's it's high, it's tied up in the courts. So this is theoretical at this point. But you know, why shouldn't you have to pay tax on it? I mean, seriously, why shouldn't you? Now I do appreciate that when we had the COVID relief, the stimulus stuff. That was non-taxable. So that didn't everybody who, who got that, regardless of whether people needed it or not, that huge giveaway from the taxpayers, that was to other taxpayers, that was considered to be non-taxable. But explain you know, why the student loan debt should also be non-taxable. Let's start with Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I agree with you completely. I mean, you're getting a gift. You're getting a handout, basically. Yep. So you know what? If you have to chuck it up and and pay some taxes, um, yeah. God, would you rather not have the gift well, and then have to pay everything yourself? I mean, and also, I really feel bad for the people who are going to the trade schools and stuff. I would feel much better if they would be giving, um, I don't know, like a, a certain amount to people who are going yeah. to welding school or or. Uh, Right. Bridge building school or woodworking, I, I, you know, that to me means more than art school or you know. Well, or, or what about what, or, or, or what about the kid, Chris, who like gets out of high school and decides I want to start my own landscaping business. So I, I don't, I don't want to go to school. I want to start my own landscaping business. So I'm going to take out small business loans, for example, to to buy the truck and to buy you know the equipment that I need to do this. Okay, that that person doesn't uh-huh. get any relief, but the other other people do. No, I again, it, it to me the this, there's two yeah. issues. Okay, one do we give the student loans, but then why in God's green earth shouldn't you have to pay a tax on on what is a, a twenty in my example or a ten or a twenty thousand dollar essentially gift from the taxpayers why shouldn't it be taxable absolutely and we um we have uh people who do antiques we do antiques and you know we have to pay our taxes we don't yeah. get no breaks you know what i mean i still do nursing but on the side i gotta do this and you know and there's a lot of elderly people who do that and they don't they don't get any break from hauling their stuff around to the oh yeah right no you, you know, it, it's places. all income no 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 right thanks no you're exactly right it, it's all income Jeff, well, if student loan forgiveness goes through, then why shouldn't my wife and I, who paid off our student loans, why shouldn't we receive $20,000 into our bank account? Or, to be specific, I don't know, maybe why shouldn't you be able to deduct, just knock $20,000 off your gross income for this year to give you a credit for having paid that off? I don't believe either should happen, but unfortunately America has turned into a country of handouts to stay in political power, right? I mean, why... Why should you, if we're going to treat student loan payments, if we're going to treat them as being uh, non-taxable, 
all right, or that at least the money you use to pay a portion of your student loans isn't subject to taxes. Kind of like, um, you know, there, there's different programs out there where you can invest money, and like an HSA, you can invest money, and as long as you use it for, you know, qualified medical expenses, well, then then it's not going to be subject to tax. Oh, okay. Well, why why shouldn't we then say the same thing is true? Let's look at everybody who's paying student loans. Forget even the student loans. For what about if you're not taking out a student loan? What about if you are paying for your own college or you are paying for your kid's college? You know, forget about EdVest accounts or anything like that. Shouldn't you just be able to deduct, you know, the first $10,000 that you pay from your taxes? And if not, you know, why not? Um, you know, that's it. Now, Jeff, I think you should mention that Wisconsin is one of a small handful of states where this law would be in effect. It's a gift from the federal government. So why should the state not get a portion of that money? So, again, 40 states apparently allow this, 10 don't. I don't think any of them should, you know, period. I don't think any of them should. Jeff, what about the money I earned that went towards my student loan um, that was compiling interest? Well, right, that's the idea. Jeff, it's so frustrating. My husband and I worked our whole lives to pay off our college loans. Now due to an unexpected medical uh, diagnosis, we have piled up so many medical bills that we'll never get help with those bills. And then they... She uses a word that I cannot use on the radio. Um, somebody then says, well, so you're saying we should tax the PPP loans, PPP loans while we're at it, right? I, all right, th- this was a decision. But by the way, I was not in favor of the broad scale PPP loans where we just sent them out, blasted them to everybody, regardless of whether you, you suffered during the pandemic. I mean, it was just it was crazy. And we did topic after topic about that at the time where th- this idea that, OK, well, anybody who makes less than whatever the dollar amount was gross adjusted income, we're going to give them money. We're not going to make them prove that they were impacted adversely from COVID at all. We're just going to send them the money. Could be people that were working all through COVID. Could be people who, um, again, kept their jobs, no adverse effects. Could have been people that had huge chunks of money in their bank accounts, and so they could live off of the savings. But we just sent everybody money. Yeah, you're darn right. For, you're darn right, I, I think, that we should have taxed that. There's no question about it. So, yeah, now we decided not to do that. Okay. Well, in Wisconsin, we have a choice as to whether we want to try to tax the student loan payments if, in fact, they happen. And again, I see no reason why why people should not have to pay taxes when you look at all the other things that people have to um, pay taxes on. Jeff, the student loan company would send a 1099 to the student for forgiveness. Well, and then I think, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can um, track it. I mean, there's no way about that. Jeff, I had a nephew who had $100,000 in credit card debt. He went to prison. Um, He settled with the credit card company for 40%. He has to pay taxes on that. And, and yeah, so I think they're they're saying that he had to – they, they forgave 40%. They forgave 40000 So, you know, he had to pay 60000 But, yeah, that, that, that money, you have to pay taxes on that. That's just the reality of it. Why would this be any different? And the answer is that it's not. 
As rates and inflation still rise, how will the markets react? How much will a recession impact employment and earnings? Join our very own Steve Scafidi and Annex Wealth Management's president and CEO, Dave Spano, as they walk through expectations for the new year in a virtual webinar tomorrow, Thursday, December 8th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Inflation, bull markets, bear markets, have all your 2023 financial questions answered on our virtual webinar presented by Annex Wealth Management. Once again, that is tomorrow at 1 o'clock p.m. Um, in- interesting story. I, I Just kind of a far, from afar, I'm, I'm, I went to Marquette Law School. I'm not a Wisconsin graduate. But, I, I mean, I support the Wisconsin football teams and certainly support the basketball team, except when it's playing my Marquette. And what a good game that was over the weekend. But it, it's been You know, one of the interesting stories out there has been Wisconsin football made the decision to fire Paul Christ, their longtime head coach, in the middle of the season. And Jim Leonard, who was, he played football for Wisconsin, you know, was on various state championship high school teams, played football for Wisconsin, went out, had a 10-year career in the NFL, and and came back and, you know, has coached at Wisconsin, became the um, chief defensive coordinator, and was viewed as... The heir apparent. I mean, so when they fired Paul Chris, they brought Jim Leonard, they elevated Jim Leonard. I think a lot of people thought, okay, well, this is this is his job. And yes, yes, we have to do a search, but the search is going to be kind of like lip service and this is going to be his job. And as a matter of fact, with 24 hours before the final hire was announced, the, the media around here was reporting, oh, yeah, Jim Leonard's going to get the job. Well, it turned out not to be the case. Wisconsin went in a different direction and hired former Cincinnati coach um, Luke Fickle, who's um, just, I, I think, is going to be an outstanding hire. I mean, you, you, you just never know about these things. But if you look at the guy's credentials, including, you know, running running as the head guy, a football program that he really took and, and built into a into somewhat of a power. I mean, look, it's not Michigan, it's not Ohio State, it's not Alabama, it's not Georgia, but he did a lot of really, really good stuff with, with Cincinnati. So the question became, okay, once Fickle comes on, what's going to happen with, with Jim Leonard, the guy who, again, was one of the runners up for the job, but ultimately didn't get it. And there were all these reports out there saying, oh, no, he's he, he's going to stay. He's been offered a, an, an opportunity to, to stay on the new coach's uh, coaching staff. Now, of course, I, I always thought that was sort of odd in a way because the, the new coach is bringing in his own defensive coordinator. So you're sitting there thinking, okay, I, I've been the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. I've been the interim head coach. I get passed over for that job. And, you know, they're offering me a chance to, to stay on. But I, the, the, the new guy is appropriately so bringing in his own guy for, for my job. And, and I was, but there are all these reports saying, "Well, Jim Leonard's going to stay. Jim Leonard's going to stay." And it just, I, I thought, man, I this doesn't make any sense to me that that you would do that. I just think it would be very, very difficult under those circumstances to say, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stay," and I'm not. I wanted the head job, didn't get the head job, and really, the job that I had. Um, before I became the interim head coach, that job really isn't available. It just it, it just seems to me that that's the one where you kind of say, well, if I want to advance in my career, I'm going to move on. And that's that's precisely what has happened. Despite some earlier reports, oh, no, Leonard's going to stay. He, he's now announcing that he's going to he's going to you know be acting as a coach for the bowl game that Wisconsin has, you know, coming up at the end of December when they're playing in Phoenix. And then after that, he's going to be moving on. And I I think 
that to me just makes the most sense. Now, where he's going to be moving, I don't know. There's talk that well, the Packers should hire him as defensive coordinator. Don't don't know about that sort of stuff. I just thought all these reports suggesting that the guy would stay just didn't make any sort of sense to me because you know you've you've worked there, you were in line for the job. And if you want to advance your career, staying at Wisconsin does absolutely nothing. Now, it might be you go on, you get some head coaching gig in college um, somewhere else. You do really, really well. And if Wisconsin decides they need a new head coach five or six years ago from now, now maybe you, you go back and you say, okay, Jim, you know, this is this is the chance now. This just wasn't his time. And sometimes you have to move on. And I guess I was surprised all along that people thought he wasn't going to. All right, when we come back, a couple interesting conversations coming up in the next hour of the program, including should colleges tell you what the return on your investment is going to be depending on your major and why is it that municipalities can't get people to work for $50,000 a year? That's all coming up. The second hour of the Wagner Show starts right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, we've got some, I think it's some very good news now, a lot of times over the last couple months or so, we've been saying, oh, so-and-so is leaving for a different opportunity or whatever. Well, we have one of our teammates, one of my teammates, who's staying for a different opportunity, and that would be Mike Spaulding. Yeah, I'll still be here. You will still be here. I will. It was just announced yesterday that Mike Spaulding has been promoted. and I, I It is a promotion, although be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I already Mike am. Mike Spaulding has been promoted to be our assistant program director, and I think that's absolutely outstanding. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, I, I hope to still be appearing on the WTMJ airwaves uh, more often than not. I think so with Christmas coming up. I'm, I'm a little bit lucky to be able to still be here and, and hang out with you and do our back and forth and soak up all your wisdom, but we'll be working more together off the air. Right, right. So, so. so so in other words, you're going to be the one where I decide, gee, um, I, I just I, I need a couple days off next week. You're going to be the one that at least is the, the front line of trying to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll have my fingerprints uh, on the, the, the programming side of the station a little bit more than I, uh, I do now. So pitch me all of your topics. Uh, and uh, you know we will work through them. I think that's what the role is. Well, well, I think the I think the role, Mike. One of the things that I have found here at WTMJ is I, I think in some respects the role is what you make it. Uh, our our management, and I will say this, it's it's been this way for years and years. The management gives us a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. to. I mean, there, there's obviously certain core things that you have to do, but to to be creative and to do your job and to kind of define the job as you think it is. And I. Um, I, I think, I mean, I just think back, we've had a number of assistant program directors over the years, um, many of whom have gone on to really, you know, Dan Shelley, who's, um, he, he was the, the first one that I worked for, and he's gone on to bigger and, and arguably better things. And I think that's same true as a lot. And I, I think you're going to be great in this. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff. And yeah, that's one of the reasons that I, I this job was really attractive and to, to move into more of an off-air management role was that this isn't a station where, you constantly have people knocking on the door during your show and saying, hey, do you want to do this instead? Or, hey, maybe don't do that or, or stuff like that, which I, which which is what some of the businesses where you're basically just handholding people. That's not what we're doing no. uh, at all, which is really exciting. We can give people the leeway to do what they do and, and help everyone do what they do best. So. Right. And we'll be hearing some new voices on WTMJ as well, which is super exciting. Uh, absolutely. So I, I just wanted, I, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a transition, but I just, we always, see what happens sometimes in this business, and it's always bothered me, is that 
know, you, you, people, the, the great thing about radio, and I mean this sincerely, the great thing about radio, and I used to do, I used to do TV as well, and people, people recognize you from television. Oh, you're the guy on TV, but they know you from radio. Radio is such a personal medium. Um, people who are kind enough to, to listen, they're in the cars or they're in their homes or, or whatever. It's, it's just a different sort of relationship that you have with listeners and, and fans. And what's always bothered me over the years is occasionally you get in these situations where somebody who's been on the air for a long time and suddenly they're just gone. You know, and, and, and you go, wow, this, this person, I, I knew him. They were my friend. And, um, now I'd so, even if, as you cut back your on air role, I just wanted to make sure people knew that, um, you are staying with the company, and there are many, many, many of us who couldn't be more happy. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff. It's always a pleasure uh, coming out and doing the show, which I've got to do a lot more the past couple of months. And yeah. uh, it's nice. I don't got to always talk to Steve Scafidi. That's usually <laughs> our bad, my back and forth guy. So I, uh, it's That's been a it. nice change of pace. Now, a number of our texters who are regular listeners are saying, are you, you sure you don't want to go become a dryer repair person? Which is, of course, the reference we've been talking about for the last week or two about your efforts to repair your own dryer that I'm did not work out. I'm <laughs> 100% sure I do not want to be doing that. I would not be very successful. Hopefully I have a better successful track here. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Congratulations, Mike, and we'll look forward to working with you and continuing to hear from you as well. Okay. Do you know what the, the concept of return on investment is? This is a business term, but it's something that, that plays out in, in many of our, our lives as well. Return investment, uh, a return on investment is the amount of return on an investment related to what the investment costs. And it's used as, as a part of analytics and it uses, it's used as a benchmark for shaping, you know, strategies. So, so for example, you, let's, let's just take a basic sort of thing. Let's say, Hey, I want to start selling widgets. Okay. And the cost of producing the widgets and advertising the widgets, it, it's a dollar. And the return I get, so it costs me a dollar and I, I'm getting you know, uh, $10 back on that. That, that's, you know, so for every widget I sell, I get $10 back on that. Well, you know, there, your return on investment is, is 90%, right? That's it. It's the, it, it's the difference between the $10 and the $1. It would be a 90% return on investment. And you can say, oh, that, that's pretty good. Maybe on the other hand, it, it's, you only get a dollar fifty back for every dollar your cost that you have, and there your return on investment it isn't so good. So you can say, okay, well, well, maybe this isn't the greatest business to be in. Maybe I need to think of stuff, and and that's the most basic example of that. But you've got the whole concept of return on investment. What do I get out of, you know, something after I put stuff in? And it, it's in some cases it's really like easy to quantify. In others, it, it's different. There is a new study out today um, by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, and what it attempts to do is it attempts to look at majors. You know, we were talking about like college debt and stuff in the last hour of the program, and one of the things, as a general rule, that's going on with colleges for years and years is they they never have that discussion with students. Like, what is the return on investment? You're going to get a degree in, um, I don't know, dance. That I'll give you that. There's a reason I'm using that. You 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 want to get a degree in dance, okay? And to get that degree, that four year degree in dance, it's going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars. All right. What are you going to do with that? What is, and it might be that you just have this pure love for dance, 
And, and that, that, that's great. But what, what are you going to do with that, that degree? And how much, how much money are you going to earn? What is your return on investment for every dollar you spend in getting that degree? What, what is going to be the return on it? They, they never, colleges never do that. They just say, Hey, this is great. Here, you want to be a dance major? Super. You know, give us the hundred thousand dollars for the four year degree or whatever. And then what happens is people graduate and they have degrees which are, I don't want to say useless because I'm not trying to be judgmental in that fashion, but as far as an economic thing, hey, I've got a four-year degree in dance, and I've got a student loan, student loans that say, oh, $100,000. Well, I, I can't do anything with my degree. I can't get the job, or if I get a job, it's not paying that much, and so I end up defaulting on my student loan. That's That, and the point of the study by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty is maybe colleges should be more upfront with disclosing, you know, what what is a degree really worth? When we come back, I'll tell you the five majors at both UWM and Madison that have the greatest return on investment and the lowest return on investment, and then we're going to discuss that. Stick around. Okay, so return on investment, and and again, the, the, the whole concept is... For every dollar you invest in, in getting a particular degree, right? What what is that going to mean on the back end? And and I, look, I appreciate people do stuff out out of love. Gee, I, I love love dance. Okay, that that's great. But if you take out huge student loans, thinking that all right, I, I'm going to get all this money. Well, okay, maybe maybe you should know that it's not going to work out that way. So here, according to the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty study that's out today. The best, the best return on investment majors. And so this would be for every dollar you spend, this is the amount of return above, see, above like normal that you would get. At UW, interesting, UW Madison, the top five return on investment majors, real estate, computer engineering, management sciences and quantitative measurements, Insurance and industrial engineering. So three of the top five are in the engineering field. No surprise. That's at Madison. In at UW-Milwaukee, the top five return on investments. Computer engineering, electrical, electronics, and communications engineering, industrial engineering, mechanical engineering, and materials engineering. So at UWM, according to this calculation, the top five, if you're looking to get the biggest bang for your buck for an educational degree, it would be in in these various engineering fields, which obviously makes my friend Alan, who is a retired engineer, makes him happy. Okay, so what are the worst ROI majors at uh, return on investment majors? UW-Madison, Communication Disorders, Sciences, and Services. Religion, religious studies, linguistic, comparative, and related language studies and services, neurobiology and neurosciences, and wildlife and wildland science and management. In other words, those degrees, and again, this isn't, this is not minimizing the value or the quality of the degree. It's just from a financial perspective for the investment you make in getting that degree, what you're going to get out of it moving forward. At UWM, the five worst return on investment majors, dance, 
area studies, photographic arts, Germanic languages, and linguistic comparative and related language services and studies. So that's that's pretty much that as a major, both at UWM and at UW, at least as far as return on investment, those are both kind of losers. And I say losers, I'm talking about purely the return on investment, not that they're not wonderful majors to have. It's just if you choose these majors, um, you know, what is your likelihood of at least financially having long-term success? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Here, Here is my question about this. Do you think that schools should have an obligation not just to offer these different majors, but also an obligation to make clear data like this before people choose them as majors? Now, see, I, I just I've, I felt this the longest way in the world. Law schools. See, law schools make their money by getting kids to go to law school. Okay, that, that's that's all great. But, you know, the job market for lawyers right now is so much different than the job market was when I, I came out of law school a long time ago. There's just there's way too many lawyers chasing way too few jobs, and a lot of people come out, and they're really, really in debt, and they think that, oh, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to work for this big law firm. Well, okay, there's still some of those jobs out there, but a lot of people, they, they just can't find jobs, and suddenly they find themselves saddled with $200,000 in debt, and, and and they're not able to get the job they thought of. This is the same sort of thing. But the law schools never tell you that. The law schools never say, hey, look, here, here's the deal. You know, you come out with the law degree, and, you know, your chances are, if you graduate with a degree from Wagner Law School, you know, the chances are, you know, if you're in the bottom three-quarters of the class, you know, the, the chances are about 50-50 that you'll even be able to find a job in the law. But, of course, the law schools don't want to tell you that because it might discourage people from going to law school. Same thing is true here. If you tell this and disclose this to these kids, well, maybe they say, oh, gosh, that that's that's the return on investment. Well, okay, maybe I, I don't want to be a linguistic major. But, of course, the schools don't want to do that because – that the schools just want to get you in without really having any regard for what's going to happen once you get out. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. In addition to recruiting students, should this information be made available? Should it be mandatory to tell kids this is what you're looking at? And if, if you still want to go ahead and get the dance major, go with God. That That's great. But understand that there's going to be real limits as to what you can do with it. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. One of our texters says, this is why dan- dance majors should always mag- marry engineering majors. Yeah, well, that, that, That's it. I, was, I had a text from somebody who says, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm in speech and linguistics, and you know, I'm doing really well, and I, I would disagree with that. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just reporting the numbers as, as they have, have reported it. And by the way, again, I'm not being judgmental about these different occupations. My only point is, I, I think... When we talk about like the student loan crisis and these kids get into debt and things like that, and you know one of the things that gets lost in this is is whether universities have a role, colleges and universities have a role in in making clear to students, okay, what what's what's likely on the backside of this? How likely or is it going to be that you are going to find a job in this particular field? And let's look at what it's going to cost you to get the degree, and then you know what's what are the chances that you're going to, you know, what, what is your income level? And, and again, I, 
that's not the only factor that's there. I mean, maybe you love dance, and, and this is what you, you want to do, and this is your calling. Well, that that's great, but for a lot of people, they want to go make a living. Let's start with, uh, let's see, we've got Dick and Shawno. Hi, Dick, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Great topic. This is one that really makes my blood boil. Uh, we've got this huge student loan crisis, and you've got all these all these. St- students, former students who can't pay their student loans. And then when you look back at their degrees, they're probably on that list of, of less than lucrative to, of yeah. Uh, occupations. Yeah. And I think that, the, the, the you know, the, the kids, and, and, and if this is especially true, when you've got a kid going to school and it's maybe the first or the second person in their family to go to college and they walk in, they're relying on the people at the school to advise them. And these uh, admission advisors take them, and I can only imagine, I'm speculating, I'll admit that, but they walk them down a path, and if the kid says, geez, I'm really interested in dance and photography, guess where they end up? And the problem is bad enough at Madison, but when you go to these private schools where the the tuition is forty five, fifty five, sixty five thousand $65,000 a year, and... You know, what are the numbers at the end? And it's all borrowed money. Yeah, yeah, right. There's there's, there's no, there has to be, there should be economic value in the degree. Now, if you're in a financial situation where you can pay to go to school and study whatever you want, and you've either got the resources or you're willing to bite the bullet, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right. Or, no, Dick, I'm with you. Or, 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 or you're willing to take the risk. I, you know, you're willing to take the risk. If, if, but, but I do think schools should have an obligation to publicize this. And again, I'll, I'll use the example of law school. And I look, and I appreciate that the job market changes and, and industries come in and out of fashion and things like that. And there's no guarantee that just because this year. You know, dance, and I have, again, I'm sorry to pick on dance, but just because this year dance is, is where it is, that, that maybe maybe 10 years from now, okay, for new generations, okay, well, maybe dance is going to be the hot thing. But at the same time, I, I think you should have a knowledge of this information so you know what you're, you're getting into. And I'll go back to, you know, the profession of law. It's much different now than when I graduated. There's many, many, many more lawyers. And it isn't to say that I would ever discourage people from going to law school. My niece is in her second year at law school. But I think you also have to understand what is the job market you're coming out to and at least adjust so people have realistic expectations of what it is so they can make this conscious decision about, hey, do I want to borrow $50,000? Do I want to borrow $100,000? And what am I going to do with that You know, once I incur those expenses. We just had a commercial for Total Wine. I, I am dangerous at Total. There's certain places that it's just it's just bad to leave me loose with a credit card. Costco is one of those. And, and my wife has learned the hard way that you you know it, it's just not a good idea to have me go shopping with her at Costco because I inevitably wander off. And next thing you know, I'm in I'm in these aisles and. I'm like in the liquor aisle. I'm going, oh, my gosh, this is the kind of bourbon I like, and it's this giant bottle or whatever. It's just it's it's dangerous. And what starts off to be 
a a $75 trip can quickly turn into a $275 trip simply because I, I have been let loose. Same thing is true with, with Total Wine. You know, I'll, you get in there and you, oh, I'm just going to go to pick up a 12-pack of beer or whatever, and the next thing you know, you're... You're over in the bourbon Lyle, and they've got, oh, this is a bottle of bourbon that I haven't seen for a while. And next thing you know, you're just, you're kind of off to the races. So that's, that it's back, Target used to be that way. Back in the day, when my wife wanted to just, when I was getting on her nerves, she'd, I'd take $20 and go to Target. Now, this is back in the day. I, I could wander up and down the aisles of Target for, for an hour with $20 just buying stuff. You know, that's like, oh, here, here's a, it's a tire gauge. Hmm, I, I don't. Don't need a tire gauge, but this looks kind of cool. So $1.99, I'd buy it. Now $20 doesn't get you very far. But it's just, it's, there's some of these just stores that they just, once you get through the door, man, I'm just, I am, I am there. Hey, speaking of the holiday season and things like that, help children in need from Wisconsin enjoy the holiday season. It's WTMJ Partners with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. Now, we are doing this this week. This week is part of our Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon, and I need your help here. Um, every dollar, every $25 donation helps two kids celebrate the season, and we've got this little friendly competition. It is a friendly competition going on between the different shows. Go to our website, WTMJ.com. You'll see this banner headline says Kids to Kids Christmas, and it's your opportunity to donate. You can figure out which show you'd like to designate. If you pick mine, that would be absolutely wonderful. Like I say, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 500 bucks. It's all great, and it all goes to help needy children enjoy the holidays. So if you can see your way clear to do that, I would consider that to be a personal favor. In addition, um, if you don't want to go to the website, you can text the word KIDS, K-I-D-S, to our text line, um, 855-616-1620, and you know, we'll send you the link to this. But um, we're going to be doing this as part of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. We're going to be doing this through the end of the week, so any contributions would be appreciated. Um, there, there's a story that is out there that I, I find intriguing just for perhaps kind of the, the, the bigger picture. The city, and, and this is, by the way, this is not a, a dump on Milwaukee story. This is a, because what Milwaukee is going through is no different than what all sorts of other places, private industries and government is going through. You can't find enough help. Talk to anybody who is in business now, and I don't think it makes any difference, you know, what the business is. Almost everybody would say, oh, how's things going? Well, things are okay. What's the biggest problem? We can't get enough help. It doesn't matter whether it's retail or whether it's one of your traditional white-collar jobs or whether it's one of your traditional blue-collar jobs. You know, people will tell you we can't get enough help. We can't find enough qualified job applicants. And once we find a job applicant, you know, they'll they'll come through the door and we can't get them to stay. You know, they'll be gone in, in a week. And so that's why uh, the, the conversation a lot of times about minimum wage is just it's not relevant anymore because nobody when I say that and somebody says, well, I make minimum wage. But as a general rule, almost nobody makes minimum wage anymore because there's so much competition. If you're I, I have a friend I've told this story before. I have a friend who owns um, 49. He's in the process of selling him his son. But he owns like 49 fast food restaurants. He owns 49 McDonald's. I always tell him, hey, you're going to be a big deal in my mind when you get that 50th. You know, for, forget about all the other stuff. You know, But, but you know, whenever we talk about this, it, minimum wage doesn't make any difference. If you're only paying minimum wage, you're not going to get anybody to come through the door. You have to pay well over minimum wage to get people in. And you have to offer benefits and you have to do these things. And even with that, 
They can't get people. Now, for the longest time, working in the public sector has been a really, really good thing. You've got a degree of job security as a general rule that does not exist in the private sector. The, The, you know, the county government is not going to go out of business. County government, you know, might not have enough money to do what it needs to do, but they're not going to go out of business. You know, cities around here, they're not going to go out of business because at the end of the day, they can always kind of raise taxes or come up with other ways to pay for different stuff. They're not going to close down. Municipalities and public entities tend to offer good benefit packages. They tend to be one of the few things around that still have pension packages, and the salaries tend to be competitive all right so against that backdrop it, it, when i was growing up it always used to be hey if, if you can get a job working for the city or for the county or for the state or for the federal government take it because it's going to be good right now as we are approaching the winter season the, the most recent numbers i have is that the city of milwaukee department of public works is looking at a vacancy rate of somewhere between 25 and 30 percent when it comes to the Department of Public Works, the people who you know drive the snow plows and things like that. Last year, I pulled this up, last year, at least at the start of the season, the Milwaukee DPW was looking to hire 57 drivers to keep the streets clear and, and safe. Um, now, I don't know how many of those they ultimately did. This is last year. But they were they were down about 20% total drivers. And my understanding is you know, this year it's 25 to, to 30%. Now, you, you do, before you can drive a snowplow, you need to have a commercial driver's license, a CDL. And so that limits it a, a little bit. But still, they're, they're having trouble finding people. The starting salary is, uh, let me pull this up. If you... If, let's say you don't live in the city of Milwaukee, the starting salary is, well, the number I have, it says, I'm looking at one of their job advertisements, it says $22.57 an hour, which translates into about $47,000 a year plus benefits. I actually think it's a little bit higher than that. If you are a resident, the resident incentive salary is, um, Twenty three, twenty five, out, which translates into like forty three, forty eight thousand three hundred dollars. But that's just starting. I mean, that that's just starting, and they're not able to fill the jobs. All right, our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. And by the way, this problem it's not just with the the experienced snowplow drivers because you need the CDLs, this commercial driver's license. But on top of that, but it but it's other people as well. You can't find people who are willing to work and they're not willing to work for they can't find them to work for municipalities and i mean i I don't know i don't think 50 grand a year ballpark as a starting salary for example plus with all the benefits i don't think there's anything wrong with that that seems to me to be you know very fair as a starting salary and obviously there's the opportunity to you know do better than that and yet they can't find people to do these jobs or at least they can't find enough people to do the jobs 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. So what is going on here? Is it is it just a matter of, of money, or is there something larger that, that's at play here? I mean, you know, if, if you raise the salary, so if instead of 48000 you made it 52000 would that 
Would that substantially bring more people in? What is the problem, and how do we get around it? 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line, because, I mean, right now, if you don't have enough snowplow drivers in, in Milwaukee, or you don't have enough snowplow drivers in Brookfield, you don't have enough people to pick up the garbage in Watoma or wherever, you know, you're, you're going to have to like juggle schedules and stuff. Why can't we find people to do these jobs? Is it money or is it something else? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620. If you're just tuning in, okay, the, the winter season is coming on, and I'm not picking on the city of Milwaukee. This is a problem that exists in lots of places. The city of Milwaukee, DPW, is down about 25 to 30%, at least as of the numbers I have relatively recently, in the number of employees they'd like to have to drive the, the, the clean ice and snow and things like that. This is not unique. You know, last year they went into the season down 57 drivers. And, of course, you know, the, the snow comes. you got to get the snow plowed. They pay starting salary about fifty grand a year. And, you know, you've got all the other benefits of working for the city. For And, again, I don't mean to pick on Milwaukee. This is not a unique problem. And we're discussing why why is that? I mean, why can't you – I mean, it seems to me $50,000 is a competitive sort of starting wage with all these different benefits, but you can't get people to do it. Let's start with Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're first. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Tom. So uh, I, I work in the industry uh, of transportation, and I'm sure, as you may know and, and a lot of your other listeners know that, there, there really is a shortage of CDL drivers. Okay, yep. so that that to me, that's probably the first issue that we have. Second issue is, as larger companies, the the more national type uh, carriers or transportation companies, they're paying upwards of thirty dollars an hour, probably starting pay. Okay, so if you own, if you have a CDL and you have a, a good record and you want to drive, let's say, drive truck, to get a job at $22, $23 an hour, the, the companies that are paying that, they're, they're not finding drivers mm-hmm. because those drivers can go pretty much elsewhere to drive a truck. And for the most part, when you think about it, when you when you drive a truck, you drive a truck. Yeah. Do you, do you, let me ask you, just a, a couple of people are raising this in the text line. Do you think people should, do you think you need a CDL, for example, to drive a snowplow? And I, I ask that as, I don't, I've never driven a snowplow, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand a CDL for like long haul trucking and stuff. Is that something that yeah. should be, should you need that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a driver myself. Okay. Um, so I don't want to speak, okay. you know, to that, but I, I, I certainly see where you're coming from. I, I mean, driving a tractor trailer or, you know, a truck with a trailer on it is, yeah. I, I would agree, is probably different than driving a snowplow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I wasn't advocating it. I was just asking I, the I question. Really think, <laughs> I really think that's the issue, you know, of, of having CDL, you know, there's just a shortage of people that want, that want to do that. Right, and then when you have the the, the pool, the pool is just diminished. For right, the people that want to pay twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three dollars an hour, like you're stating. Right, right, because they know they can go someplace else and make a lot more money. And I guess the other thing that would be related to that is, 
you know, how do you get more people to 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 get the CDLs? You know, is is that is that the thing? You know, more more programs where you you know try to encourage people to do it, maybe pay for the training or something, more of a kind of an apprentice program to get people in to give you that workforce. Because I just don't know. I mean, the, the roads got to be the garbage has to be picked up. You know, the roads have to be plowed. I just I, I seriously wonder where those employees are going to come from nowadays. Yeah, I think that's the crystal ball question. I think, you know, in the industry that I'm in, we all, you know, when you work in recruiting or something like that, you are wondering how can you get people, you know, to come in, like, you know, through the MATC program, right. get them involved in high school, reach out to the high schools and, and say, hey, you can drive truck and make a very good living. Yeah. Um, you know, in today in today's world, if you are driving truck, it's, it's a good job. Right, right. It's no. a very good job. No, no, thanks for the call. Well, and of course, I mean, there's all sorts of different things, whether it's you know driving long-haul trucking versus, I mean, you work for the municipality and you're, you're home every night, which would be, I. it's just, th- this is an ongoing issue, and it's getting worse, not better, because, and I, I appreciate what Tom is saying, if if my friend who runs the fast food restaurants, you know, can't, can't get people in, and, and that's essentially unskilled work and i'm not and, and I, you know, but people with a decent work ethic you can train somebody quickly to you know work in, in some of those jobs it, it's not something that needs any sort of specialized training but you know if you're talking about, and you can't get people like that if you can't find that how are you going to be able to find people that need the specialized training um of the cdls let's talk to doug who's calling us on a car phone doug good afternoon Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. Good to talk to you. See, I, I told the gentleman um, who was screening the calls, I think a lot of it, too, is physical labor. Because, you know, when you're not plowing the municipalities, you have other jobs for you to do. I mean, you're driving a garbage truck. You know, uh, yeah, a lot of them are garbage correct. drivers, yeah. yeah. Garbage truck, yeah. And then, you know, you have, um, yeah, I mean, you have work out in the roads that have to be done. You know, we have, you know, a share of potholes that need to be filled. Uh, and I... I just think I really do think that people are just afraid of good old fashioned physical labor anymore. They want to collect fifty thousand dollars a year and sit mm-hmm. behind a desk. Yeah. And, yeah. And do and do basically, you know, just push a pencil or go on the computer and you know bring home your big paycheck and that's it. So, and, so and what's the answer are great with the city. Oh right, well I guess see that's the other thing that struck me. I mean it, it's it's pretty much guaranteed job and I'm it's pretty much guaranteed job security, and you've got good benefit packages and, and things like that. That's why when I was growing up, um, I, I had friends who, who went to work for municipalities, and they, they, they did really, really well. Now, look, you're, you're not going to buy a Learjet. I'm not suggesting that, but, you know, you were able to carve out a pretty darn decent living, and, and now we can't find people who are willing to do that. I know. Well, my cousin, my cousin was a school teacher for MPS, and in the summertime for the three months, he was able to pick up a job with the city, uh, picking up garbage. Yeah, yeah. It, and, right. I mean, it was it was you know he didn't have to because his paychecks were you know screened out over over twelve months. But he thought, well, I'm not going to just sit home, you know. So I go out and pick up some extra coin. I mean, and that was I don't think I don't even know if they do that anymore. But well, no, I think I mean, no, I know. Thanks for calling. I mean, I I know a lot of teachers who 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 work. You know, during the summer, at other things. Got some people who are texting me. You're saying, "Well, of course you need a CDL to drive like a garbage trucker." And I, I don't take a position on that one way or the other. I was just, it's at some point in time, and I'm very, very sympathetic to look at this because here's what's going to happen. I, I mean, I, I know this. We're, we're going to get snow. 
and, and maybe it's going to be December, or maybe it's going to be January, or maybe it's going to be February. We're going to get a lot of snow around here. And it, maybe it'll be one of those things where you get the snows for consecutive days, you get decent snowfalls, and then everybody is appropriately going to say, well, we, we need to have our alleys cleared. We need to have the streets cleared. We need to be able to get out because we've got to get to work and do all these things. And there's going to be incredible pressure brought on you know, the city. Why, you know, why, why isn't this happening? And, I mean, I appreciate it. If you've got a plow driver... There's only so many hours that that plow driver can be on the road before that plow driver has got to go home and you know, take a shower and have a and get a good night's sleep or something. That's the issue that they have, and and it's underscored by the fact that we don't have enough people to do these various jobs. And if it's a question of money, well, okay, are the taxpayers willing to support that? If it's a question of better training programs, that that's a factor as well. But this is a huge problem, and I, I hate to talk about problems without having the, uh, the ability to offer good solutions. I legitimately don't understand what the solution to this is, but I do know a problem when I see it. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. So, Mike, how much is Aaron Judge making? $360 million. $360 million over nine years. So, let's see, 36, nine goes into about $40 million a year. Yeah, that's about right. On yeah. the average. You could probably make a good living off that. $40 million a year. See, this is, whenever I hear these stories, I'm just, I, I'm mad at my parents. You know, just num- number one Genetically, you know, they just I, genetically, I just I can't dunk a basketball, and I I could never hit a curveball. And secondly, and just you know, that's that should have been it. Instead of like encouraging me to go to law or whatever, my parents, starting at a young age, should have been trying to encourage me to hit the curveballs and stuff I, like that. I agree. My neither of my parents were over six feet tall, so I kind of was ruled out of sports quickly. But you know, I am thankful. I never even was given the hope that maybe I could make it as a pro athlete. That never entered yeah, my neither. brain. Right. One time. But yeah, 40 million a year. I, I'd take that probably. Well, it, it's it, and, and again, I understand costs are going up and it's it. There really is this idea of, you know, value in society. And I'm a free market guy and I, I appreciate that. But when you look at these skyrocketing salaries for professional athletes, I mean, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is due to make what, $50 million, something, something like that lines, next yeah. year, 50 million. Some people are saying, well, maybe he's going to retire. Who in their right mind would, would retire at, at, would, and walk away from $50 million or whatever? It, it, it ain't going to happen. That's just the reality. But it does kind of show how just sort of screwed up our priorities are. And again, I'm not, I'm a free market guy and I appreciate it, supply and demand. And if you have this great unique ability to, you know, hit a, hit a curveball, you know, and I, I respect all that, but Man, you know, three hundred and sixty million dollars, and um, the rest of us. That's if people if people wonder why the beers are fourteen dollars at American Family Field. That's it. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. You know, it's funny. I was talking with some of our friends at uh, ESPN Milwaukee. My brain is still stuck in like nineteen ninety nine when it comes to athlete salaries. So I remember when Mike Hampton of the Colorado Rockies got a hundred million dollars. He got the hundred million dollar contract. I think it was over nine or ten years, which in today's day and age is, is nothing but i remember that being the big deal wow nine nine figures in that deal oh, yeah. and now you're looking at yeah 360 370 patrick mahomes right he signed for 400 million dollars with the chiefs that just my brain doesn't calculate it no it, it it doesn't and again it's 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 obviously you know the these are businesses and 
the, the sky is sort of the limit, and and I appreciate it. These, if you're a if you are a high end professional athlete, a guy like you know Aaron Judge, I mean, you you do what you do incredibly well. It's just, man, it's just when you, when you think of what doctors make, and you know, <laughs> it's just it's you kind of or, or teachers or, or pick what whatever, mm-hmm. and you think about how kind of like out of whack that is, and it, but it, it's the world we live in. So good. Good, good for, for him. him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Good, good for him. And again, ba- bad on my parents for not not having those, those those genes that's you know giving me implanting those genes with me that I could hit that that ball. All right. Um, just a couple comments on on what happened in Georgia last night. No surprise. I, I don't think if you looked at the polls, it it was going to be it was going to be close, and that's what it was. Um, but uh, Raphael Warnock. Winning the runoff, beating Herschel Walker by about a point to a point and a half. That that's kind of where it was. I think that's where a lot of the polls set up to be. So what what are our takeaways from this? Really quickly, first of all, I mean it does it, it does for the next two years make it a little bit easier for Biden to get nominations and stuff through the Senate because instead of being 50-50 and needing the vice president to make the tie, now it's fifty-one forty-nine. So you can afford to lose the the vote of Joe Manchin out of West Virginia or the senator out of Arizona, and you can lose one of those and you can still have that happen. So it makes it a little bit easier to get that through, I, I guess. The flip side, though, is with Republicans taking over control of the House of Representatives, you've you pretty much got that check and balance there. So from the perspective of trying to get major legislation passed, unless it's truly bipartisan legislation, I don't think that that's going to happen. So it, it makes Biden's life a little bit easier, especially when it comes to appointments. But is it going to dramatically change stuff? No, because they could get stuff done at 50-50 before with the vice president's vote. So I don't think that that's going to change dramatically. Here here are a couple of the, the pictures, though, that I, I think moving forward, especially from a Republican perspective, you need to understand. And we've talked about this before. One is that it's really time for the Republican Party to move away from Trump. It's, you know, Herschel Walker, I understand he was a football star, but he was an incredibly flawed candidate. There, There's just... And, you know, time doesn't allow us to go through all the flaws. If the Republicans had nominated a more mainstream, qualified candidate, I I think this result is different. I I think that candidate ends up winning by a couple points. But Walker, like I always say, you you go through life and, you know, we all have baggage, but you, you like to find people who travel light, who pack light. Uh, Herschel Walker did not pack light when it came to the baggage and things like that. He was a terrible candidate. And the reason he was the candidate is because he got support from Donald Trump because, you know, he went and he and he and Trump were tight going back to his days when Trump owned the football team in the USFL. And I mean, it's another one of these examples where the the Trump endorsement can only take you so far because it guarantees you that the Democrats aren't going to support you. And it pretty much guarantees that a lot of Republicans are just tired of the act. So I I don't know how the Republican Party moves away from Donald Trump, but this is another one of these examples. It was a Trump-picked candidate who— was not ready for prime time in the political field and is now lost. And whether it's, you know, the Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania or the guy that was running in New Hampshire, you know, the, the list just goes on and on and on. 
And it's just another clear example why Republicans need to move away from Donald Trump. Now, how, how they do that is a completely different story, and we'll be talking about that a lot over the course of the next two years. The other take on this, and it dovetails back into something I was saying earlier. So I was watching, I was watching a lot of stuff on TV last night, but I, 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 I was looking at the election electoral maps, and it was pretty clear that even though Walker was ahead at a couple points in time, he wasn't going to win because in, in Georgia is, in some respects, it's similar to Wisconsin in that geographically, the vast majority of the state, the vast majority of the counties are Republican, but they're just like it is in Wisconsin. But there in Georgia, you've got a couple very, very heavily populated urban areas, particularly the areas around Atlanta, that are overwhelmingly Democrat. And so you you could just see as the numbers were coming in, even when Walker was ahead, there was still a huge percentage of the vote out that was left in Cobb County or Fulton County or whatever that is. And you, you could see that those those votes were breaking, you know, 65 or 70 percent to to Warnock. And there just there wasn't enough votes in the rest of the state to you know make up for how well Warnock was running in those that, that heavily urbanized area or how poorly Walker was. So what what's kind of one of the takeaways of this? Well, you cannot stress this enough. One of the things that that is that Democrats are much better than Republicans are at is the early voting, the mail voting, we M A I L, the mail voting, getting getting the votes in. And th- this is Again, another one of the emphasis that's there. If you look at the numbers last night, what you saw is just a huge number of early votes and mail-in votes that came from the heavily Democratic areas. So the, the Democrats you know, hit these high urban areas where you have a lot of Democrat-leaning voters, and they did an outstanding job of getting those people to vote early. Now, the numbers I was looking at yesterday said that they thought that the in-person voting broke about 60-40 for Walker, maybe even a little, maybe it was 65 percent, broke broke heavily for Walker. But it it didn't make up for the huge number of people, particularly in the Democrat-leaning areas, who voted early. And if you think about that, that just makes sense. You get Get the vote in. When we talked about this a week or two ago, I remember we had somebody who called who was in sales. He said, look, this is the first rule of sales. I mean, close, close, close. You know, you don't, if you can get somebody that's willing to sign on the dotted line today, send that ballot in, it's so much better off to have them do that than count on them having to show up two weeks later. It's just, it makes sense like that. That's what you have to do. And right now, Republicans are doing a terrible, terrible job of capturing that early vote. Now, in some respects, it's easier for Democrats to do it because they, they congregate, they, they cluster. They live, you know, in Wisconsin, they, they live, the large number of people's li- people live in the city of Madison or the city of Milwaukee. And so it's easy to go to high-rise apartment buildings and go door-to-door and get those absentee ballots in people's hands. It's more of a struggle, I admit, for Republicans, but that's what they have to do. Counting on people to show up in person, it's just it's a losing proposition. And I understand whenever I talk about this, I get texts from people saying, well, I don't think you should have early voting or I don't think there should be mail-in voting. Okay, that ship has sailed. <laughs> that, 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 that ship has sailed. That's a conversation to have, you know, with, with 2018. We're, we're past that now. This is the reality. It's going to be more early voting. It's going to be more mail voting. And if Republicans want to win, 
I don't know what it takes to do that, whether it's like hiring more people or improving the ground game or, you know, going back and identifying the voters early in the process and making sure that they order those mail ballots and they get that ballot in the mail and then following up to make sure they've sent that ballot back in. That's what Republicans have to do instead of just relying on people to turn out to vote. And if nothing else from the Republican Party comes from what happened in this election in general and what happened last night, that that's it. You've got to, you know, you've got to be in a situation where you've got to get the early votes in and you've got to concentrate on those voters and you have to, will Republicans ever do as good a job as Democrats do of getting early votes in? I don't know. I don't know, but there needs to be a sea change of thinking. You need to make it easier for people to vote, and depending on people to show up on Election Day, it's not working. Okay, when we come back, speaking of not working, how hard should it be to talk to a person? Stick around. You know, one of our texters um, says, well, you know, Jeff, I find it kind of interesting that, um, you know, in, in all these close races, you know, you, you had, you know, the, it was the Democrat that won. And I, I, maybe the implication is that there's funny stuff going on. Well, wait, um, in Georgia, the, the governor, you know, uh, Brian Kemp, he, he's, he's a Republican and he, he handily beat Stacey Abrams, who is at one point in time was kind of the most prominent Democrat. Remember, she ran against him four years ago and she was on the national circuit and stuff. She got beat like a drum. Her political career has probably ended. Um, so that was a Republican one. In uh, Nevada, you had the, the Republican gubernatorial candidate that won. You know, in Wisconsin, you have Tony Evers that won re-election, but Ron Johnson wins re-election as well. So th- these races are going to be close. But I do think uh, it, a lot of it comes down to candidates. It, and, and Herschel Walker was a train wreck. That, that's just the, the bottom line. And if you say, well, the Democrats would have cheated or whatever, well, no, Kemp won. The Republican won as the governor. Um, in, in Arizona, you had Carrie Lake, who was a flake, just a, a pure flake, and she almost won, but she didn't do it. I think, I mean, it's a couple things. It's, it's getting out your vote with mail-in voting and things like that and recognizing that's how the rules are played, but also it's trying to find candidates who are if not mainstream candidates who aren't, you know, off on the weird conspiracy theories or so tied to Donald Trump that as a practical matter, they become unelectable in the general election. And, and you know, if, if people don't learn, what you're going to see is 2024 is going to just be like 2022, which is going to be just like 2020. And hopefully we just have to learn and, and move on. Okay, I want to completely and totally switch gears. Um, the I'm, I'm going when I go to Florida next. I'm, I'm made a decision. I'm taking my dog with me, and our, our dog has she's never flown on a plane before. So, but she's she's small enough. She fits in the the container, and so she'll fit under under the seat. So, I'll probably take a couple tranquilizers for myself, and take one for her, and you know we'll we'll, we'll kind of get on the plane together. But what happened is when I made that decision. So I'm I'm on the website for the airline, and it says okay, well. You just you have to make a reservation for the dog, you know, because they, they have a limit on the number of pets. So okay, I, I had I had our tickets, I had Fran's ticket, my ticket, and so I'm I'm looking 
to try to figure out how to do this because you you can't there's no space to just reserve for a dog on on the website that I'm going through. So it says, well, you got to contact the airline. And, and then I, I'm not kidding. I spent about five minutes looking through the website, trying to find a contact number to call to actually speak to a person to tell them, okay, I've, I've got the dog on there. Now, I was ultimately able to do it, but it, it wasn't easy. You had to go through screen and screen and screen. It wasn't like, hey, you go right to the website and it pops up. Hey, if you've got any problems, call 855, you know, whatever. And I was thinking about this because there's a story in the Wall Street Journal today. Um, it's not just you. Businesses are making their phone numbers hard to find. More customer-facing phone numbers are being replaced with chat boxes and virtual reservation systems that can make contacting an actual human being next to impossible. Here's how the story starts. No matter how many times you yell representative into the phone, you won't reach an employee at Frontier Airlines. Now, I was not flying Frontier. The budget carrier dropped its phone service option last month leaving customers to use chat functions or social media to resolve issues. The airline joins a growing group of companies, from Breeze Airways to Reezy, I don't even know what that is, to Facebook, that eliminate or make phone numbers extra hard for customers to find. Instead, they rely on automated or text-based customer service. Others still have operators, but are pushing more customers to use online services rather than the phone. I've I've had this happen a handful of times. I want to talk to a person because I have a very, generally speaking, look, I, I'm, I, I know enough about the internet and being online to, to, to be dangerous. And, and I do most of the stuff I do, I, I can do online and I can do just through the services. But there are times when I've got something unique and I, I got to talk to a person. You know, I, I have to explain what this situation is because it's not something that's covered on that. And I guess you can theoretically do it for email and send it off and hope somebody responds to you or the chat room. But I want to talk to a person. I, it's just like, look, I, I don't want to go through all this. I'm here right now. I'll wait on hold. But I want to talk to a representative because I want to get somebody's name and I want to explain what the problem is. And I want to maybe it means I'm going to have to talk to a supervisor or whatever, but I want to get it solved. And I cannot tell you how many times lately that it has been difficult or in some cases virtually impossible to find a phone number that you can call to just get that accomplished. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Have you noticed this happening? Have you noticed that you know more and more stuff has been directed to accomplish over the internet? And I get it. That that's great. If you can do stuff online, that's super. But for those occasions when you actually need to talk to a person, it's, if not difficult at many places, it's almost impossible. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. We'll discuss in just a moment. Okay, and here is the deal. When you call me to discuss the fact that you are, like me, frustrated that we can't, uh, you, you can't like talk to customer service people on, on the phone anymore because the businesses don't put out the phone numbers or make it impossible to get through to a real human being. When you call us here at WTMJ to talk about this at 855-616-1620, I guarantee you that a real person, my producer Charlie, who's freaking us all out because he's wearing a suit today, um, he will answer the phone. 
We will have that conversation in just a moment in a world full of really weird stories that that foot story just absolutely takes the cake. It absolutely 100% does. I can't get enough of it. Um, yeah, on, on just so many different levels. Okay, are you frustrated that you can't talk to real people? We have the conversation in just a moment. It's not just you. If you think businesses are making their phone numbers hard to find, they, they are. And there's many businesses like Frontier Airlines. You call Frontier Airlines, you're, you're not you're not going to be able to talk to a person. You're, you're, you're going to maybe get a chat function. You'll be able to have an email exchange. But actually getting somebody on the phone to say, hey, th- this is the problem I have or this is what I'm trying to do, you, you can't do it. And this this is becoming the new norm. And I, for one... I, for one, can't stand it. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Jeff, thanks for letting me vent. Um, I'm getting this a lot with several different businesses, and the worst example is probably with the Valley Sports app because I was having trouble getting it to work when I wanted to watch a Bucks game one night, and after searching through webpage after webpage, yep. I finally get the number. I, I call, and then they do the thing where they say, we have a lot of calls, leave your number, and they call, and we'll call you back, which I did. And then they never called me that night, and they left me feeling stood up and wanting to eat a quart of ice cream. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No. Well, it is that. Thanks for calling. It is the frustrating thing. And look, and, and I appreciate. I, I appreciate Jeff the, the value you have of if you can solve stuff over the internet. I'm 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 there with it. I I I get it. And I've I've had you know issues that have come up, and you know I, I've I've used their method, and I've left the the thing with the you know okay. Um, for example, Freighter, which is one of our sponsors. I do their everyday health things. You know, Freighter has a, a very active thing on my chart where they, they funnel a lot of stuff to the Internet. And so you can leave questions. Instead of, like, calling up and trying to wait for your doctor to call back, you can, you know, you can, you can use their chat thing. You can say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a referral or this, and, and they're very good about getting back to you. But you, you can still call up and say, hey, I, I, I need, I'd like to leave a message or I'd, I need to talk to Dr. So-and-so. You can still do that. And so there, there's a way that, and there's a reason for both, but it's this idea that you can't get a hold of people that's just driving me absolutely crazy. Jeff, this morning I called Weber regarding a new grill accessory that I purchased. I got a real person within a minute. They helped me and they are sending a replacement. Um, You know, I think, you know, that's, that's absolutely tremendous. And, and that's, I think, some of the customer service stuff that still has an appeal to a lot of people. Um, Jeff, I think no in-person customer service is a bad idea. Having flown passengers, I saw very basic questions and requests that are easy to handle without a real person being present. But when a customer service issue arises, the best service is personal service. It's difficult to help, to help handle. Some passenger issues via phone or email. Perhaps the um, future will bring airlines that are hands-off, but I know many people who will want that personal touch, and they'll keep some companies with people at the airport around. Well, like I said, that, that was it. When I was trying to make arrangements to bring the dog on the plane, it, 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 was, it was an effort to find the number to call. That, and, and I didn't have a long wait once I made the call, but it was an effort to try to find the number to make th- that call. And you see that so often nowadays. I don't think they, they don't want you to call. Um, don't want you to call. Jeff, Best Buy, great place to shop, but you will never be able to call your local store. 
when you call the toll-free number, you usually get someone um, who may or may not be able to answer your question. Jeff, I have found being an ATT customer, they are next to impossible to get someone on the phone. And I appreciate that there's lots of irony (laughs) that, that comes with that. Yep, you've got that. Jeff, after working as a phone customer support person for a few years, Honestly, this is a good thing. Seven out of the 10 incoming calls are someone screaming at the representative and attempting to get to the actual issue is nearly impossible. The online chat forces an actual description of the issue from the customer. Generally, less swearing is involved. Online reps are given instructions to give a phone number to the customer if they or the supervisor cannot fix. People, I think, did this to themselves. Hmm. Um, And look, obviously... What I, one of the things I found is when on these instances where I, I need to talk to a person, and this is some of my just life advice, I, I always try to be nice because, you know, being my experience has been if you try to be nice and you explain your situation and you try to be nice about it, that the chances are that, you know, you're going to get more of a response because nobody likes to pick up the phone and, and have somebody just that goes from like zero to nuclear with them. And unfortunately, I appreciate from a customer service perspective that a lot of the times that you're going to get people on the phone, they're already um, they're already hacked off, um, you know, just kind of no question about it. Let's talk to Howie in Williams Bay. Hi, Howie. You're on WTMJ. Uh, hi, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I, I think that I found it's it's harder to get through, and when you do sometimes get through, you get people with such heavy accents that I, you know, I'm trying to be nice, but I'm constantly yeah. questioning them. What did you say? Yeah, excuse me. You know, yeah. Did you say yeah. that again? Yeah. Yep. That I've, I've kind of grown to the live chat being a lot better way and quicker and easier way to get things done. And so, I mean, or I, I, I really haven't, I'm not sure I can ever say that I've, I've ended up using that. So, I mean, do you, do you have somebody there in real time and it, and it's, you're able to like communicate and you get a good response back? It was great. Actually, I was trying to get a hold of Allegiance and it was probably two weeks I called and two or three times I was on hold for over an hour, even like three hours. The one time I sat on hold just trying to get through to somebody. The live chat, I finally gave up on him, and I did the live chat. The guy was on, you know, within seconds, and he had my problem corrected, you know, oh. within like five minutes. Oh. It was a great experience. Interesting. Now, thanks for the call. Our texters come. Jeff, if you try the IRS if you've ever had a problem. Oy vey. I, You know, it's funny people mention that because I, I don't have many – I don't have many communications with government agencies, but once I don't know, it wasn't the IRS, right? The IRS were the people that I called. I communicated to them. They sent. I've told this story before. They sent me this refund. I now nowadays um, my Laura does my my taxes, my accountant. But I used to do my taxes in the old days. I, I sent. I did the taxes. I sent it in, and one Friday night, I get this letter back from the IRS with a check for like lots of money. I mean, thousands of dollars. And they said, you've overpaid your taxes. Well, I knew I didn't overpay my taxes. And so I spent a couple hours trying to figure out why they thought I had overpaid my taxes. And finally, I, I, I did. They had. I was reporting at the time, my, my late wife, she was self-employed, so we have to pay her share of the Social Security tax on top of that. And, and they hadn't reacted, they hadn't treated it like that. But I found out that you know, this is the issue. And I sent them a note back saying, no, I haven't overpaid my taxes. Actually, I'm right. And the IRS's response was to say, 
okay, we're going to audit you. I got audited because I tried to give them money back. But, you know, the, the one government agency that I have had nothing but good luck with is the Social Security Administration. I, I You know, they... The phone, you set up an appointment, they call you with a real person, they walk you through your issues, and they, they set up, they call you on time, you get a thing saying, remember, you've got an appointment, a telephone appointment at 9 o'clock. Social Security Administration has been uh, amazing. Um, <clears throat> Jeff, I just had an Amazon chat, had two service reps, and they were absolutely Wonderful. Jeff, I can't stand it when I call customer service, go through my whole problem, they put me on multiple holds and then come back and say they aren't the right department, and then I have to start all over with a new person. Jeff, go to the live chat whenever it's available. As far as I'm concerned, it definitely works. Jeff, I agree with one of your other callers. Best Buy is terrible. We bought a new TV set there in June. The salesperson told us not to call the store if we had if we had a problem. Uh, Jeff. I've had issues with Verizon. I almost did a Russell Crowe and threw my phone <clears throat> because of that. Um, that's so the, the bottom line is, I guess, and that's the point of this topic. If you find, if you think, man, it's just tougher to find a phone number to call. And, and is it just me? No, it's not you. That's kind of the, the ongoing business model getting us away from those live chats, getting us away from the live phone calls. And like it or not, it is, it is I think, the future. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, one more time. The important stuff. Kids to Kids Christmas. This is, I think, our 17th annual Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. We are helping, in this case, Get toys to needy kids. It's a wonderful cause. And this week we're raising money to help purchase toys for kids in our area. Every $25 that you donate helps two kids celebrate the season. And on top of that, we've got a little friendly competition between the shows. Go to WTMJ.com. Our website, you'll, you'll see this big banner that says Kids to Kids Christmas. Click on that and then make a donation. You can do it pay, with PayPal. You can do it via your credit card. you know, whatever you can give. It really is a wonderful cause. It's fully tax deductible. Um, We're having a little competition between the shows. So when you go to that website, you'll see the different shows. You can click on my show and then say, I'm going to donate X amount of dollars. That would be wonderful. But the point is, we're glad to have you donate. And we want to see how many kids we can help. Uh, this year. So check that out. That that part of Kids to Kids Christmas runs um, just through this week. But we're going to have, for example, next week I'm going to be out, I think, on Thursday night at the Century in Delafield collecting toys. Help WTMJ help children in need with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. You know, there, there's a story that I've been meaning to discuss in, in great detail, except I, I don't know that I have any particular insight into it other than this needs to be a wake-up call for all of us. I don't know if you've been following the story about the the gun battle, the attack at this this power stations, these power stations in North Carolina, and what what's going on right now. The power is slowly coming back, but you have tens of thousands of people in North Carolina who've been without power for several days because what happened is on Saturday night you had gunmen. We don't know who did it, but who targeted two of these power stations and and shot them up. And according to the governor, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they created you know substantial damage to the these power stations. And it's not 
I mean, it's just not like, okay, you have a windstorm that comes along and, you know, the you, you have the tree that blows over, it takes out the power lines. I mean, these were targeted shootings that apparently destroyed a lot of expensive and difficult to replace equipment. And so, you know, they've been they've been scrambling to try to get this this stuff fixed. But it was this targeted attack. Again, it's this, these rural power stations. They didn't shoot individuals, but they shot up all the equipment. And it's demonstrating one of the vulnerabilities of uh, one of the many vulnerabilities of, of our whole electrical infrastructure system. Because, again, you've got this rural power station, and you, you don't think that there's going to be gunmen that just pull up and open fire on the thing and, and create all this devastation. And, I, again, I don't, I don't have this great answer for what you do, but this has exposed another one of the vulnerabilities of our infrastructure, and we, we need to figure out what we're going to do about it because it, it does leave us – liable to terrorist attacks maybe not something that knocks out all the power on the eastern seaboard but you know if you can if you can knock out power like they did for for days to tens of thousands of people it shows a vulnerability and it shows a vulnerability that needs to be addressed and it's also kind of scary to me that they haven't been able to apprehend at least as of the last time I checked, the people who are responsible for doing this. It's just, it's a wake-up call for us, if nothing else. 